Welcome back to Consuming the Craft Podcast. This is Puff, and with me, a graduate, an alumnus, a man of international mystery, Jamie Reardon, coming back to talk to us. Now, Jamie, you graduated from the program you, before you graduated, actually. You had a job procured uh, with a large brewery here south of Asheville. We could probably say the name. It wouldn't be a big it's, deal. Right? It's pretty close to the airport. I yeah. think most people can figure <laughs> yeah. it out. You could goggle it. Um, but uh, a, a, a phenomenal brewery. It's Bruges Mahal. If you, if you, I, well, I'm Malt a huge, Disney. Yeah, Malt Disney. I, I am a huge fan of the beer uh, products, everything that you guys make out there. And you got hired on as a maintenance originally. Yeah. Uh, and you've you had a background uh, at Duke Power. Working and a nuclear, I mean, yeah. it, among other places, yeah. Yeah, you, you've worked all sorts of things. Um, we, I, I wanted you here because I want all the folks out there working at breweries, wineries, distilleries, cideries, sake, kuros, wherever they're at, uh, to talk about a, a little bit of maintenance that they could be doing or thinking about or moving forward. And the first concept uh, you brought up as we were kind of shooting things back and forth, and he goes, the concept is safety. And you know I am – I make everyone wear safety glasses here. We're talking about steel-toed boots. RIP landed. <laughs> so it, it's one of those things where we want to instill that here, but now you're out in the industry and the, the concept of safety is is for both breweries big and small. You were throwing out some numbers and you're saying a safety program would cost if you're if you're doing the basics and you're buying PPE which realistically should be your last line of defense. You know, you look into the, all that fancy uh, Haslam's hierarchy of needs at Pyramid. You know, you want to sure. engineer things. You want to proceduralize things to protect people. SOPs in place. You want to have things written down. You want to sure. be able to train everybody on this stuff. Uh, but but ultimately, if you're buying PPE and then, you know, we... Uh, the, that's protect, personal protective equipment sorry, for those of you I, that I apologize down with for, PPE. Yeah, for, you know for me. For using acronyms. <laughs> um, so, yes, personal protective equipment is, is and should be considered your last line of defense. And we were talking about um, a, a basic safety program where you're training your employees to do things in a safe manner. You're teaching them about things like lockout, tagout which is OSHA mandated for any company that has more than 10 employees. But it, it's it's a good idea to follow those same principles because it keeps people safe. And ultimately, oh, yeah. uh, we're not doing it to follow rules. We're not doing it, uh, we're not doing it to, uh, to keep OSHA off of our back and not get fined. We're doing it to protect the people who are our employees and coworkers. And we, we talked about, you know, for a few thousand dollars between lockout, tagout equipment that you would need, uh, the personal protective equipment that we talked about. Safety glasses, uh, splash aprons, goggles, uh, mm-hmm. you know, say, uh, you know right. all of this stuff. Gloves. Yeah, gloves, the, just normal stuff. Ba- basic things. Steel-toed boots you should have if you're in any kind of a position where you're handling things that are heavy. Kegs. Doing maintenance work. Yeah, kegs. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you're talking 150 pounds if that falls on your foot. You're screwed. All your, all those bones that that lands on are broken. Yes. So when when you're talking about OSHA, and you can look the statistics up, but the the rough numbers are uh, a lost time accident, which would be, you know, the the, the higher one, one of your employees losing right. time, unable to come to work and fulfill the duties of their job. Right. So you have a you have injuries. Um, you know, someone cuts their hand; they need a band aid. You have first aids, someone cuts their hand, they need stitches. You have a lost time accident, someone cuts their hand and they sever a tendon, let's say. 
and they have to go have surgery, and for weeks they they can't work until they've been rehabilitated. Well, and then they got to go through occupational therapy and like you know things, all right. the things that come with it. But, sure, but just a basic lost time accident. The the cost for that starts in the forty five to fifty thousand dollar range, and it just goes up from there. Right. And I that, mean, honestly, and that's not including horrific things like accidental death and dismemberment, you know, or someone lo- losing a finger or a limb or anything along those lines. N- n- right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The, it yeah. just goes up from that's there. The, I mean, that's a that's minimum. The D, that's the dismemberment. <laughs> yeah. Part. yeah that go, going in. That's, yeah. you know, you lose an eye, you lose, I mean, all you, you run a grinder without a face shield well, and, and the, and, and the as cutoff someone, wheel comes apart. And you know? as someone who has had uh, a metal shard removed from his eye, mm-hmm. I was running a brake lathe. Uh, when I was, uh, in high school, okay. uh, I, w- I got a job as a, uh, a booze jockey, no booze jockeys, bartending, a pump jockey, a pump jockey where it was a full service gas station. Yeah. And I was 14. I got my first job. Um, and it was one of those things where I was running the brake lathe after a while, after they've taught me how to do that. Mm-hmm. And a piece of metal got embedded into my sclera, which is the white tissue in your eye. Mm-hmm. And I had to go and they used the pick after they sedated me, um, to pull this piece of, of metal out of my eye. And since then, uh, my peepers, uh, I've taken much better care of because yeah. that was something I don't want anybody else to live through. That's, that, that's sort of the concept of a, of a near miss. Not, not no, by no. definition. A near miss is when something really terrible could have happened and it didn't. No, no. But, and it, but for yeah. you, that, you know, that, that could have, if that was half an inch closer to the center of your eye, no, that, that been could have been a life-altering injury. A hundred percent. And that, that's, you know, they, they, there's all these fancy terms. They have things called like ticker rates, which is total incident case rates. And it's the number of injuries per, I think, 100,000 man hours worked and all these different things. And all those statistics are great. But the bottom line is what I always said to people that when I worked in the power plants, they used to make me get up in front of all the contractors at the beginning of the outage and talk. And I didn't necessarily want to do it, but it was important enough to me that I would do it. Yeah. So I'd get up in front of 200 plus people and have to give them the rah-rah, this is how we're going to stay safe during the outage speech. But what I would do is just explain to them in a heartfelt way what I would do to stay safe because it was important to me because I wanted to go home to my wife and my son. Yep. And I would do little things. Like for me, I always wore leather gloves when I worked and I hated wearing gloves. It took me 15 years to force myself to finally wear gloves I'm not good at it because I feel like it takes away from my dexterity. Yeah, you don't. All you, that kind you of don't stuff, have right? the same sort of nimbleness in your fingers. But, Exa- exactly. But but it protects your hands. Right. It, and what I would always say is, I want you to go home ten and ten. I want you to go home with the ten fingers and ten toes that you came in ten with this morning. Ten twindles and ten yep. basement twindles. That's right. As I say in your vernacular. In my vernacular. <laughs> yeah. Your fancy language. Yeah. Your Midwestern, whatever that is. <laughs> no, I, that's I just, love it. That's just kind of me. That's puff. That's yeah, puff, that's 100% puff-isms. puff. No, so, it is. So anyway, what I would do then, back in those days, was on the backs of my leather gloves, I'd take a Sharpie, and I'd write my wife's name on one and my son's name on the other. And I'd put my gloves on, and every time I went to do something, I could see their names on the back of my gloves, and that would remind me Smart. directly to be safe. Because, yes. Not for myself, because... I mean, frankly, I'm kind of an idiot and you know that, but, <laughs> but the, and I don't mean from the standpoint of common sense or any of that. I'm just, no, 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 more, but more, more of a jackass. No, Let's no, just but, say that. But, but the, but the bottom is, line is yeah. you had done that job for so long and mm-hmm. some of it almost becomes routine. You get, you get complacent. But, Absolutely. But you can't, you cannot. Because once that sets it, when you're first learning, you're careful when that complacency, it, it just, it's not good. It's not a good thing because that's when accidents happen. Sure. 
when you're so, when you're too comfortable you what I, you what I you do absolutely is absolutely love that I, I don't care if you you're not going home to a wife and kid put your dog's name on there put your fish's name on there put your mom and dad's name on there right um, put someone whom you love on the back of your gloves just to remind you and do it on your green nitro gloves you can write it on there and yes or any or even if you have black gloves on yeah. that are nitro you can get a gold sharpie if Fancy. you're in the club uh, and you can, you can still write stuff on them the, the bottom line is that is a visual cue that takes a very short period of time. It's simple. I to, love it. To remind you yes. to be safe. No, and, and, and so that just doesn't go for anything in the beverage industry. That goes for all industries, let's be honest. And it goes for your house. It goes for anywhere. It goes yeah. for driving your car. And I, when I, yes. when I drive my car... You put your gloves on. No. <laughs> you, my driving gloves with the, with the knuckle holes yeah, and the, the cutoff love, fingers. And the cutoff fingers. Yeah, well... The, yeah. Por- the Porsche emblem on the back. <laughs> Even though... In my Subaru... <laughs> Subaru, I can see it now. Yeah, just He's strapping it up. Yeah, I love it. No, uh, in my car, that the cue that I use for the same thing is when I click my seatbelt. When I click my seatbelt, yeah, then I know it's it's time to focus on driving. It's yeah, not, it's not time to screw with the radio. It's not but not get off your of damn phone. Right. Use your turn indicate turn turn signals. Yeah, it's funny how <sighs> fancy cars don't, are. Don't that, get me started on turn indicators. No, anyway, this is a different. That's a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's a soapbox. That's me being angry. Let's. I, I grew up learning how to drive on the DC Beltway, so I'm a solid road rager. So I get it. <laughs> I, I road rage. Everyone that knows me that has ever ridden in a car with me says I am a completely different human being in the car. What makes me really angry is everyone down here in the state of North Carolina have to ha- has to have their car inspected. Has to. But you, to get a license. Sure. No, yeah. When they inspect your car, I had my motorcycle inspected this morning. They check to see if your turn indicators, hmm? your turn signals work. Sure. They work. That doesn't mean you have to use them. Well, does it? Does yes, it, mean it you, does. Oh, you're supposed to use those? Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, according to the test I took to get my license here. Anyway, and, right. I digress. So, so safety is a concept that anybody can adopt. It's not that expensive, and it's going to save you money, loss of labor. It, it, it's really, it makes a lot of sense. Sure. It, 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 there, there's no reason not to do it. Let's no, just say really, that. honestly, there isn't. And it's not as if employees, you know, they're not like uh, Cruella DeVille. They don't hate their employees. <laughs> they, they don't want, they, they're, or like, uh, I don't know. They, they, they don't, no one, no one wants anyone to get hurt. Nobody does. But that, you know, we, another thing that you and I were touching base on is like that, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but from an owner's perspective or from a perspective of someone you know, if you're a supervisor or a foreman or a manager and you have people that work for you and you are responsible for the ultimate outcome of their life from the well, beginning to the end of their workday, yes, then you need to take care of those people. You want to send those folks home to their loved ones safely. Yeah, the same way they came in. If they're broken already, you can't fix that. Well, but, uh, but, <laughs> but the bottom line is- You can I, only try to help that. That's right. You got you to gotta send them home however they came in. <laughs> <laughs> they might be tired. They might stink a little bit, whatever. That doesn't matter. Well, and but, it's it's not just, I mean, in the brewing industry, we use mm-hmm. a lot of uh, pretty harsh cleaning chemicals, whether it's acids or bases. And, sure. And so you talked about it earlier, breweries need to be clean. They do, absolutely. I mean, it, it goes without saying. The job of a brewer is an underpaid janitor. We're, we're there to make sugar water. We want to put it into a tank. The, the yeast does the work. If it's not clean you're going to lose money in variations. You're going to off flavors. You're going to make you might micro. To, you might dump, yeah, product. Dump, a ba- dump a batch. And that's so yes, it goes without saying, but it's not just clean inside the tanks. It's clean mm-hmm. outside the tanks. It's procedural things that people are doing in the cellar 
on the hot side in well, the you not, know not only you know the byproducts of what you're saying is you you get consistent products you get consistent color consistent ABV you get consistent yields you get all the things that you want from the perspective predictability of, of yeah. making a craft beverage yep but along with that and hand in hand with that you gain in terms of maintenance and safety both yep. and, and I'll explain what I mean by that is if you keep things clean and you have a consistent product if you have say a leak oh wait hey look that tri clamp's leaking all right did you tighten it yeah and it's still leaking all right well then we need to replace that tri clamp gasket it's the, the little things like that are very very simple a pump a pump seal right a pump seal it, but, it's leaking let's fix it well but here's the thing and this is particularly important in brewing probably more so than distillation when you have something coming across a seal in one direction then you have stuff going the other direction mm -hmm. it's not just product dripping out even though that's at a higher pressure you might be getting oxygen you're you're also creating a preferential path for bacteria and infection ambient air is coming in hmm? it's working its way into the system or even if it's just coming in contact with the fluid that's dripping out yep. it, if it contaminates that fluid and that fluid sits long enough against the leaky seal it's gonna contaminate it's the gonna fluid work passing its way, through, yeah right? well and, and and even if it's leaking out say it's sugar water it's hmm? going down the drain the stuff in the drain then is also producing uh Right. Chloro well, and if you're dumping other stuff down, you can get chlorophenols, you can get uh, TCA, the cork taint, you can get all that stuff going airborne and can get in all sorts of things. So it's it compounds very, very quickly. It's it's the whole concept of an ounce of prevention versus a pound of cure, right? A hundred percent. And and that concept not only goes toward maintenance and safety, but also cleanliness in the brewery. Well, I think all those qu things. Quality assurance yeah. versus quality control. One's more reactive, one's more proactive. Sure. And even in the maintenance world, you'd much rather be predictive and proactive rather than reactive and corrective. So, so all those concepts and all that language, it, it ties together across a bunch of different boundaries that don't necessarily have anything specifically to do with any one of those areas. So you work at a brewery now, mm -hmm. you worked at a distillery, Yes. You view the cleanliness at both of those places a little bit different. Sure. Uh, distillers uh, are lazy when it comes to cleanliness. <laughs> well, I would, no, let's not use lazy. That's, no, they're, that they, they're complacent because they know that... The heating process after the fermentation is going to stop the bugs, basically. It, it is. You're, you're, gonna, you're creating a, a, a fire break, if you will, in that process a, a with contamination. Flora. Sure. Yeah. You're, you're, you're creating a house character. Well, but... If you're not fostering for what you want in terms of flora, then you're creating off flavors potentially, most likely, because the reason that we select for yeast and all the things that we do, the, you know, yeah. the Saccharomyces cerevisiae and all the different things that we choose to use is because of the end result. The byproducts of the metabolism right. are going to create flavors or even precursor of flavor. Sure. Because we're going to set this stuff after distillation down, potentially, depending on what you're making, in a barrel. Let's hope, let's hope it's for eight years. At least, right? Let's just hope. <laughs> well, I mean... Let's hope it goes in around 103, it sits for eight years, and then it's free for us to drink. That's <laughs> That would be the trivecta of perfect for me. Well, um, yes to all of those things. Yeah. Um, because that's... <laughs> because as, as you know, I'm a whiskey enthusiast, as you are. Um, uh, and you enjoy uh, uh, all sorts of things, which brings me to Booze Clues. Because okay. uh, you and I are sitting here. I know you're a whiskey enthusiast. Uh, I am. We, I tried to introduce you to a bunch of things during the program. Um, I hopefully didn't ruin you on stuff or maybe uh, kind of opened your, your feelings on other things. Oh, dead guy basement wine. That gives me shivers <laughs> still. 
That, that's, a, that's a little secret inside thing for people that come through this program. And if you come yeah. through this program, you'll know what I mean, and no, you'll hate it just as much as the rest of us so, did. Well, it, but it's well, let's call it a rite of passage. It's, it's not only that, but there's a lot of times where people are doing uh, wine off flavors, but mm-hmm. they don't actually experience the off flavors in wine. So there's a lot of tests that and, you can and take. You ha- and you have to know. You, you have to understand those things if you're 100%. producing these products. No, sure. you, you do. And, and there's a lot of times, and I've, you know, you talk to people that I sit for these really, really fancy exams, right? But they never do any off flavors. It's mm-hmm. only like regions of this particular grape from Italy or regions of this particular grape from France. But they never, they, they talk about them, but it's not something that's ever tested on. Mm-hmm. And so you guys have tasted TCA. You've tasted super oxidized, funky mm-hmm. wines. Stuff that, you know, you just like, no, I'm not going to put this in my body. And so... Is this not healthy in this wine? Is white wine supposed to have snot in it? I don't, I'm not sure. Is this supposed to be thick? Am I supposed to yeah. chew? Uh, so what were, what were, I poured you a, a wee bit of a, a brown, uh, we'll say substance, sure. a li- uh, liquid, um, and it is, uh, what kind of flavors and smells and tastes and deliciousness do you get inside of there? Uh, well, first of all, it's, it's definitely been barrel aged. It's, it's, it's got the vanillins, it's brown and it's got a little, it's something tropical. It's sweet. So. I mean, take a guess, take a stab. At what it is? Yeah. It's definitely a rum. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent nailed it. It is a uh, Florida Kenya. It is their, uh, Grand Reserve number seven single estate rum. I really like this Nicaraguan rum because they are, uh, 100% distilled with renewable energy. They're aged at the base of a volcano. They're sugar-free. There's no sugar added back into this rum, right? which a lot of rums actually have some sugar added back. Not that I'm, you know, watching my girlish figure. I'm just... No, no, but like the beautiful Diplomatica, it's a, it's a fantastic sipping rum, but it's 40-something grams per, per liter, liter yeah, yeah, yeah. of sugar. And, and that's, you know, that surprises folks where they're, you know, they're adding that sugar. It's... It, it, rums for different occasions rums mm-hmm. for things but this particular one i the 18 is amazing the four is amazing it's a great company mm-hmm. it's family run since like 1890 I, it's just i really it, it's a carbon neutral rum they're saying they're not uh, they're not you know weighing on the environment and i just i think it's a great rum it's always been good uh and you know what else is good if you're in the process of designing, creating, or putting pen to paper mm-hmm. on one of these facilities, even an expansion, sure. One of the things that you mentioned when we were talking about, yeah, you know, we were sitting down. I was like, "Hey, come on, do a podcast," and you're like, I, "No," and I was like, <laughs> "I'll give, I'll give you booze," and you're like, uh, "Okay, I'll maybe just one." And then um, you were saying the design of the facility is very, very important when you're talking about the ease of maintenance. So I think that's an overlooked part of the process, right? Because, uh, it, and it depends, depending on the scale and the scope of things, you, it might be an architect, it might be an owner, it might be an engineer, or it might be an entire team of people. If you're talking about larger industrial scale, you know, if you're looking at a brewery that's AB or uh, Molson in, cores in, that in, that in, sort yeah, of it, that sort of industrial scale. Then anything from a three barrel system all the way up to three hundred and thirty barrel systems. I mean, we're talking sure. anything in between there. So, uh, I think most of the time, and this is not just true of breweries or distilleries. This is true across industrial manufacturing. Industrial manufacturing on, on, in honestly, general. Yeah, you, the the people that are uh, forced. And I don't mean like slave labor, but the people that have to maintain and operate these systems are sort of at the whim of 
whoever designed and built it. Which I think is a mistake because everyone out there can relate to this. If you've ever changed your own oil hmm? and you needed to be Gumby to get at the oil filter. Oh, man. Yeah. The design of the engine was great. Sure. But the maintenance is impossible. That goes back to those Porsche fingerless gloves. Yeah. They, <laughs> they make hundreds of specialty tools no, to work it, on their cars. Uh, VW's Porsche. Yeah, I mean, some it, sort of weird wrench that has like five different angles <laughs> to get to a nut that you couldn't otherwise get to. No, and, that, and that's the thing. Like they don't under, they understand how to make this part, but they don't know, hey, the oil has to be changed every so often. Let's right. make it easy. So there's, there's a couple things that have happened, I would say, over the course of my career, which is, I don't mean to date myself, but you know, in the no, last- No, but say, you started at three. No, so, in the last three decades, let's just let's just say roughly in the last thirty years, things things have changed uh, significantly. You know, you're doing solid models and design in that way. And if you have an engineer or someone that's young and they design something, and they've only ever lived in that three D model space and they've never had to go out on an internship during college and actually put their hands on things and work on things, the model says there's no interference, but that doesn't make it easy to work on. No, that also doesn't relate that system to the building which the engineer doesn't have to do so much as someone like an architect or uh, you know, a, a larger architectural engineering firm that's designing the entire scope and scale of a facility yeah. would have to do, right? So that, that leaves you with things that are either difficult to work on. You know, that, that I, I think uh, when, you, when you get into that design process, the owner of that business, uh, when you know, we're talking about bigger stuff now. We're not sure, talking sure, about sure. well, even, even little stuff. One yeah. of the things I mentioned before: don't cram your tanks next to the wall. Right? How are you supposed to get behind it if there's a glycol leak or if there's a solenoid that goes bad or you know, just to clean, clean, cleaning. Start just with cleaning. Start with cleaning. If you can access it to clean, that that the other part about that is, if you make things easily accessible and you build them in a smart way, then people are much more apt not only to clean them, but also to maintain them. If it's yes. a struggle every single time you have to do a particular job that is already repetitive and from the perspective of the person that's maybe has to an, do an it hourly worker and, and yes. has to do it day in and day out that they don't want to do, then if, they're going to cut corners. If you have to get into the five-point harness from Mission Impossible and drop from the roof and yes. go up inverted to get to this doodad, right. that's... The doodad's going to be neglected. It's going to be neglected 100%. And, until the system fails, likely catastrophically, and then it ultimately costs the business way more money. And it goes back to safety. And then it's not you, good. Right. It's, it's unsafe. You lose money from the safety perspective, from the production perspective. It, as an owner, if you only want to... And, and I found... This is another thing that I found that's pretty interesting is that brewers and distillers, brewers, the brewing community is especially the, the craft brewing community. I like how you put quotes on that, the craft brewing community. Well, because, because, I mean... I think that word's overplayed. It is. It is. And I feel like I kind of work up against the glass ceiling of that because of the size of the facility that I'm in. Sure. But it did start out as a family-owned business. In a garage, yeah. And, it, and quite frankly, you know, it revitalized or was the tip of the spear of revitalizing the craft brewing industry in this country. 100%. And I, and I, I don't have any misgivings or, or hard feelings about any of that stuff. But my point is, um, if you, if, if that is the case, if you're working in that sort of a situation where you're fighting with that stuff all the time and you're frustrated and it's not easy to do. And then, it's dirty. It's not it's clean. Dirty, it's Yeah. If I'm the guy that's at the bottom of the totem pole mm -hmm. and I'm supporting everyone else, 
that's the last thing that I want to do is go out of my way to work harder for less money than everyone else, especially in an established business where this problem has been longstanding as an example. Yeah. Not, I'm not talking about where I work or no, 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 I, no. I'm not, I'm speaking in just general terms, well, right? You, you've seen so, a lot of things in a lot of different facilities. So sure. it's, not, it's not like you're, you're pinpointing anything. No, no, I'm not. And I, and I don't, I, I'm, I apologize for having to give a disclaimer. I, I don't like to <laughs> speak in those <laughs> no, kind of but terms. It, but it is. Anyway, so if, if you're in that type of place and you're, you're fighting with those things all the time, then your program is going to be less effective. Your people are going to be more exposed to things like chemicals, Leaks, heat, all sorts heat, of stuff. Yeah, electrical faults. Yeah, you're you're creating an environment which is unsafe. But the the the, the uh, let me digress for a second. The part of the the when I said craft and did the air quotes yeah. like like a jackass. <laughs> um, what I what I was saying was that people in the in the craft beer industry tend to be more collaborative. They tend to be uh, they they want to help one another. They it's kind of the tide raises all boats. It's, yeah, it's the tide mentally all boats. Yeah, yeah no, it is. It's more of that philosophy. Now, my experience in craft distilling is the opposite of that. Honestly, it is. And, they have and, like a more IP, and I I use the same jackass finger quotes. Yeah, but yeah. I was like the intellectual property. They do things to they. Well, they have secrets, so to speak. They they do, but it, I don't think it's that so much as the people that tend to have the wherewithal to own and start those businesses or philosophically are the people that say, oh, you know, I love high-end scotch and I've got money and I've got time and I want to start a distillery. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's a that's a big stretch. I know I'm but connecting I, a bunch of dots, but... but I the, also like high-end scotch. Just. Sure. For but, the record. but we don't have the money to start our own distillery. <laughs> Nor do I have money for high-end scotch. Right. So if anyone, so if anyone wants send, to bring, send bottles bring to. Puff high-end scotch, then he's here at AB Tech, and he most days happily receive them from me. You can be on the pocket. My my point my point being that um, the uh, the distillers they they tend, in my experience, my personal experience, to look at things much more through the filter of dollars. And I know that was a long-winded. And roundabout yeah, but way, but it's, but it's it not is. a tangent. The point that I'm making is with maintenance, if you do proper maintenance and you observe safety, then you save money. And what does that do? By saving money, you increase your production capacity. You don't have lost time accidents. You don't hurt people. You don't have increased insurance rates. And ultimately, that means your bottom line is better. You can make money. Go for it. <laughs> no, so so there's a, a a giant horsefly flying around in the studio right now, um, and uh, and I have one of these bug assault guns that shoots uh, salt at the, <laughs> and it almost landed in front of me, and I slowly pulled out my my bug assault gun, and Jamie's like, yeah, get it, and it was just uh, at, long story short. As an aside, I'm glad that he didn't shoot at it because. <laughs> We are facing one another across a table, and had he shot directly at that fly, he would have shot me in the face with salt. And and, and it's a good thing you have your safety glasses on. That's right. And for safety reasons alone, he can't shoot a gun at me. No, I would have have shot it from the side. That would run Um, counter to the idea of this whole entire episode of the podcast. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so let's let's move on. So so it goes back to... to maintenance ultimately, and one of the big things that uh, everyone should do and that you brought up before, like we were just chatting, I was like, man, this should be a podcast. Um, you said, look at your manuals. So mm-hmm. if you buy a piece of equipment, it comes with a manual. Sure. Usually there's a maintenance schedule for that piece of equipment. Like even your car I've never has seen an a manual, manual that doesn't have a section entitled maintenance. Right. 
Now you're supposed to change your oil every so mm-hmm. everyone can relate to your car's owner manual. Sure. If you buy a mill, you buy a brew house, you buy a Anything. still. It doesn't a, matter whatever. what it is. It, yeah. it should it comes with a manual that has this maintenance section for the pumps, the doodads, the uh, the valves, mm-hmm. the gaskets, whatever it is inside of it. Yeah. Um, it's already written. It's, sure. it, it, it's so the their manu- recommendation. Here, the thing is, the manufacturer that designs and builds a piece of equipment knows that piece of equipment intimately. They they have designed it to serve a specific purpose. And if you use it for that intended purpose and you follow their recommendations for maintaining it properly, it will last its entire design lifetime and it will provide value long beyond its depreciation and all those financial aspects of owning that piece of, pieces yeah, of yeah, equipment. Yeah. I mean, there's design, designed obsolescence that we won't talk about. <laughs> I think everyone can say that they hate printed circuit boards in their dryer when a dryer is basically just a resistance heater and a drum that spins around. That's yeah. that's fair. No, that's, <laughs> you yes, know, 100%. There, there are no more Singer sewing machine designs that are bulletproof. No. They, they want things to fail. It's like your water heater, right? Your water heater has it's a designed. 48 month warranty yeah. and at, at month 48 in one day it fails. Yeah. Design. A weld fails. Yeah, yeah. sure. But um, so in that regard, if, if you, and how this ties back into maintenance is if you, if you look at your manuals and you develop a maintenance schedule, which can be as simple as writing a list and following that list or as complex and innovative as using something like ERP software. Which is enterprise reserve planning. Resource. Resource planning. Excuse Resource me. Planning. I wrote it down, but I can't even read my own writing because we were drinking. Um, that being said, if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. Sure. We talked about that all the time throughout your program. But, but it, it's true. It, it, there's two parts of that. Of that, there, there, there are two sides to that coin. If it's not written down, it doesn't exist. And the other side of that is the details matter. Yes. One of the things that Puff has always emphasized throughout this program, and it is a great skill for people that don't already have this concept or have never learned this through life or their parents or a job or whatever circumstances they've been through, is that details matter. You put a decimal point in the wrong place. You know, that's a huge, that's a problem. Sure. No, a lot of degrees. Sure. Yeah. No, from, from the perspective of safety or maintenance or production or quality or cost or cost. Well, I I mean, cost, cost is the thing. Is all of the things that you talked about. All those things are the underpinning of cost, right? Yes. Everything ultimately in a business, if you, if you can't run a profitable business, you will not run a business. It will go out of business. No, it's done. Right. Yeah. So I guess my biggest hope throughout the course of this conversation that we're having is that if people understood that appropriate maintenance done in a safe manner positively affects your bottom line, then that alone would be enough to incentivize a, at least a business owner, maybe not a no, head brewer it, it, or a distiller or the people that are in middle or upper management. But that all goes back to a culture, right? But, but, but and the culture, you, the culture doesn't just come from the top. It no. Pre- it should come from the top. It should, but... The, but but the, it doesn't yeah, always, No, right? but, but you said, you know, even if it's... A, being a guy that ran a brewery and mm-hmm. got a call on... Saturday night when the glycol unit went down or got a call when something was leaking or a keg blew, you know, those type of things. If there's a schedule, a, uh, a, you know, something in place, a plan, a plan in place to eliminate some of those 
early morning calls or late night calls for anybody that's working, whether you're the owner, the operations manager, whatever your job is there uh, in production, uh, even front of the house, back of the house, whatever it is, right. it, can, it can solve a lot of those problems. So, so there's a fancy uh, industrial term. Let's call it a term. Let, let's call it an organization. It's not a term. It's, it's EH&S, right? It's Environmental Health yes. and Safety. And that entails not only environmental laws or how you impact, you know, in a brewery, for example, that would be like your discharge to wastewater, to the water treatment system. Anything that goes down the drain, you bet. That sort of thing. Um, Health, obviously, is the health of your employees, the health, which ultimately leads to the health of your business. People don't talk about it in those terms, but healthy employees and a healthy process and an environmentally responsible and safe process ultimately leads to a healthy company. Yeah. And then the S is safety, right? That that we've we've talked about safety already. No, it was one of the first things you brought up. Is like the, because it's, be because it's the most important tenant to me personally. Yeah, I, I've seen people die on the job, and that yeah. that's not stuff that I would necessarily want to talk about. I don't want to drag down. No, 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 no. Create you know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want to drag down the podcast by talking about that. But the reality is that industrial processes can hurt people. Chemicals, boilers, all of it. You know confined spaces it, yeah you're driving a forklift that can kill somebody oh, yeah. or kill it, you it weighs more than a car and people don't think about that oh it, by far on a smaller wheelbase with tinier wheel yeah, right so um the the reason that i brought up the eh and s thing and safety as a as a tenant of that is uh you know that that's like a, a term in the organizations and i've lost track of what i was thinking about but um, well, you did bring up one of the things at the end when we, you know, you came in it, it randomly, I convinced you to do the podcast <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'll call you out. Um, you mentioned ladders. So yeah. everyone's been on a ladder for the most sure. part. You use them around your house. All the time. You know, people overreach for things. You use them in businesses. There's, there's all that. Okay. It, if you're going to talk about something that affects people, not only across business, but life in general, yeah. ladder, ladders is a pretty good topic. Um, there's, there's, we, we won't get into the intricacies of it, but, uh, when you talk about OSHA, there's sort of two different parts of OSHA when it comes to safety, there's construction safety and there's general industry safety. Right? Sure. So construction is much more of the wild west. The rules are, they tend to be more lax. I, I, um, don't, I would say that they are a little bit more open. Vague. <laughs> or, uh, there's more they're, interpretation. They're, they're uh, no, they're, they're just, I would say less prescriptive. Is okay. the term that I would use because basically um, a lot of times in construction, you know, when you when you design and or engineer a system and you build it, uh, then in, in its finished state, it's it's much more safe, intrinsically safe, and I don't mean like intrinsically safe in the terms of explosion proof. No, no, no. I just no. mean but, yeah, it, yeah. it tends to be safer, right? You're going to yep. have handrails. You're going to, you're going to have, uh, you're building the handrails. The handrails aren't there. So yes. Right. Okay. So if you're, if you're working from scaffold to, sure. to build walkways and handrails and things that are toe kicks, at heights, whatever it is, toe yeah. kicks, all that stuff, you know, you obviously don't have the same level of protection that those things would provide, but you also have other rules. Like you have to be in a harness or this or that or the other thing, right? You're working from a man lift as opposed to just walking across some catwalk that's 100 feet off the ground in a power plant. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Without hand railing and toe kicks. <laughs> no, no, that would never. <laughs> no. I mean, when it's a finished product, obviously no, no, it would yeah. have, you know, toe kicks, lower sure. rails, upper sure. rails, all that. It would have all that stuff. But the the if 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 we're getting back to ladders, I didn't mean to get no, so, but you so mentioned it. So I, it's so everyone can relate to a ladder. Sure. I mean, and you know, it, so ladders is a thing like 
you don't you don't take an A-frame ladder and leave it folded up and lean it against something and climb up it. That's stupid. It's there's there's going to be a time when it goes out from under you because it's not designed to be used that way. Correct. You use a an extension ladder or even a single section, which most people have never used a single section ladder that looks like an extension ladder. That's a more of an industrial thing. Yep. But the but the bottom line with that stuff is you use that thing and you don't set it up on level ground. You're ultimately going to get, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 plus feet off the ground. Yeah. And then have it's that thing tip. sitting on some wooden blocks or a brick or a stone or a log. Something to level it out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just don't do that stuff. <laughs> Think ahead of time. Use your whatever it is that causes you to take a break, whether it's that seatbelt or your gloves or, you know, look at look your wife or your kids in the eye before you climb that ladder to your roof and just think to yourself, you know, if I do something stupid right now or I'm lazy, I might not get to play with my kid again. I might not be able to run around this. I might fall and, and become paralyzed or yeah. some ridiculous thing that you never thought about, you know, that... The thing about safety as it relates to maintenance or life or ladders or any of the stuff that we we're talking about before is things happen fast. Uh, when you fall off a ladder, and I can attest to this, it happens very, very quickly. <laughs> sure. And and you it, it those sorts of things happen as a result of what you didn't do before you got on the ladder. Yeah. The the preparation and this is true and this this is proper an, planning. Prevents piss poor performance. Sure. And this ties back into maintenance and a bunch of other things, right? If, if you know, welding is an example. We were talking yeah. about sanitary yeah. welding, right? Welding isn't excellent because the welder's great. Welding turns out great because the fitter did his job. All the prep is done. Right. And it made the weld easy. The beer that you brew isn't just in the kettle. It's all the work that you did in selecting the grains and selecting the yeast and... All the QA, QC you did before that, making sure the grain was good. Right. Making sure that all the piping was clean. Mm-hmm. Making sure the fermenter was clean. Then you make your hot sugar water, you put it in the fermenter, and right. you add your yeast. You know, it's it's all of these things coming together. It's a culmination of a lot of things. Sure, but it's the preparation that ultimately results in success. A- agreed. And maintenance and safety hinge on those con- on that same concept. On same con- well, I'll, pretty much everything does. Right. So... The, the same processes and the same mentality that you use to make a good product, whether it's beer or spirits or juice or whatever, whatever it, it, it is. Shoes, cars, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? No. It, when you're manufacturing something, that, that's the same process that you use to ultimately end up at a product that consumers not only want, but buy readily at the price that you're willing to sell it at, yeah. is the same thing that should guide your maintenance program and ultimately your safety and the way that you treat the environment and the way that you treat your employees. All that stuff is the same. It's the same brain. You just same mindset, 100%. Yeah, you just have to focus it yep. on those different aspects. And all of those things together, coupled together under that appropriate umbrella or mindset will ultimately lead to success. You, you can't go yeah. into anything without a plan, right? You shouldn't. You shouldn't. And safety and maintenance are no different. And Business plan, safety, maintenance, it doesn't sure. matter. All of it. Right. You. I mean, ideas are cheap, right? And yeah. I can give you 15 ideas right now that sound great, but they might not be... Viable options by any means, stretch of the imagination. Sure, exactly. 100%. Yeah. So No, and, and, and my favorite example is, you know, a bullshit salesman with a, a mouthful of samples is always going to have a mouthful of samples. Mm-hmm. None of this stuff is... Write it down. 
details matter. Right, because and it doesn't, I hate I hate to preach on, on that more, but no, no. but I, I do it here, and, and and thank you for bringing that up because it is it's important to to have that uh, you know guideline as you're moving forward, that outline to follow, and we can continue to move forward to that. Well, and that so here's the thing: if you build that same framework as your business expands and you become more successful because you have a framework, yeah, then you know the same microbrewery that had two employees or three that only had to worry about the OSHA 300 form if somebody got hurt, and yeah. that's we didn't really talk about that earlier, no, but, but that's it, a thing. Yeah. Look it up if you care about what that is, and you should yeah. care because it's important. Well, but the bottom line being, once they get to ten employees or fifteen or twenty, and they have they have these other responsibilities, whether it's OSHA or ADA or these other things, this system that you've built and that you've developed is built on a sturdy foundation, and it will allow you to grow and expand your business and make more money and be more successful because you started off on the right foot. No, 100%. If you cut corners at the beginning and you get lucky and people like your stuff or whatever the case is, or you're you're fighting an uphill battle, you hit the hot trend or you did this or you did that and you make a few bucks, great. But ultimately, that house of cards is going to fall because. Yes. Because you didn't do the work in the beginning to to ensure its long term success. And I think that's where I'm seeing folks fail now. Hmm? You know, people coming. Yes, those businesses right now are, are. are failing. Sure. They are. I, I've talked to lots of and folks and, and not having some of those things in place is a problem. The oversaturation in the market on both the craft brewing and, you know, I think we're not, we're not oversaturated in terms of craft distilling yet. Well, we have more distilleries in the state of North Carolina than they have in Kentucky right now. Sure. But oh, Kentucky produces a little bit more volume. Yes. Whatever. Yeah. But we do I mean, have I mean, if you look at Wild Turkey by way of Campari, they just went to 14 million proof gallons per year as part of an expansion that I'm pretty sure that just wild Turkey. Okay. So overdoes or usurps everything that we do in North Carolina as just one's relatively small. They're not Jim Beam or, and, and they're certainly not Jack Daniels in terms of volume. No, not by any stretch of the imagination, but that reminds me, I do have a bottle of wild Turkey. One hundred one. Yeah. Old. Well, no, but old wild, old, old stuff. Like, no, I do have some, Austin Nichols. Austin Nichols? It's in a locked away cabinet. I threw away. I ate the key. We'll have to wait a couple more days to drink that one. Well, you and I are going to have a a glass of this. Jamie, I can't thank you enough. Stop by anytime. You know you're always welcome. Okay. Uh, Thanks. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk more maintenance. We'll talk more. uh, We'll just probably drink bourbon next time for safety. Um, We'll do it safely. Well, yeah, we'll wear our safety glasses. We'll, we'll have gloves, we'll gloves on with, on we'll with our family's say, names. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> One will say wild, the other will say turkey. Turkey, yeah. yeah. And then we'll, uh, and we'll you try. Can, you can do uh, the Austin Nichols. You know, I think we should do a vertical flight of turkey at some point. That would be amazing. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Because I've been trying to. I love wild turkey. No. I, I Rare think, breed, oh. any, anything wild turkey. Yes. Rare breed rye. Oh. Get out of my way. Stop. Yeah. Uh, so. So I can't thank you enough for being here. I can't thank uh, Danny McConnell from McConnell Forums uh, for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks, Danny. Taste the way you remember. Uh, You know, stop by anytime, Jamie. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you.